0: Alright, well this morning we are in Acts 13, but before we jump into Acts 13, I'm actually going to uh, talk about another story that's found back in the Old Testament for a second to kind of set up where we're going in Acts, Acts 13. Back in 2 Kings chapter 6, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, there's a really fascinating story recorded uh, from the time when Elisha was a prophet in Israel. Alright, so this was around 800 BC, alright? So even in the story in Acts, where we're talking in the first century, uh, you go back another 800 years before that, even, when this all took place. And what had happened at this time was the king of Syria had been coming and trying to invade Israel, alright? Syria is to the north of Israel, and he kept bringing his armies in and and trying to raid and, and ultimately wanted to overthrow Israel, But what happened was, Elisha was the prophet of God. And as we talked a a couple weeks back about prophets, we learned that prophets usually, well, they had the same role of being messenger for God. Sometimes they would tell the future, even though that's kind of how we usually view prophets. But most of the time, they just kind of tell what's going on right now. And they'd kind of give spiritual clarity to what was happening. But in this case, what Elisha kept doing was God would tell Elisha the plans of the king of Syria. So that he would then go and tell the king of Israel what the plans of the king of Syria were. So every time the king of Syria would put together some military, you know, strategy to surprise Israel, Israel already knew. They're already there, they're already ready, waiting for him, and they'd repel the attack. And so the king of Syria, he's getting frustrated because he's like, which one of you is a spy that are my, like, main generals? Because every move we make, they already know. They're already two steps in front of us. What's going on? And uh, ultimately what happened was the the intel that Syria had gathered, they realized what was going on. They found out that this prophet, Elisha, was the one that was telling everything going on. So they go back to the king of Syria and they're like, look, none of us are traitors, but they've got this holy man that knows what's happening. He can tell them what the things you're whispering in your bedroom, this guy already knows. And so what happened was the king of Syria is like, all right then. Instead of attacking israel let 's go get this guy elisha and so they come and they they find out where he 's at in this little village of Dothan, and they come with their army and they surround the entire village, the whole army is all the way around it and one morning they do this in the middle of the night and they surround the the the, the village and elisha 's servant gets up in the morning he goes outside to I don't know, milk the cow, get some eggs or something. And when he steps out, outside, he looks out and he starts looking around and he realizes our entire town is surrounded by an army. And so freaking out, he goes back inside, wakes up Elisha, and he's like, Elisha, this, we're surrounded. We're surrounded by an army. All right. And I'm going to read now to you what Elisha says. It'll be on the screen for you. In 2 Kings 6, verse 16 to 23, he, Elisha, said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, listen to this, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain. So beyond this village, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. All around Elisha. It was the army of God that he could see. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please, strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them (laughs) excuse me, to Samaria. That's deep into the enemy territory. All right? So you see what's going on here. This spiritual, this supernatural radical thing happens. Elisha prays. They all go blind or blindish. They can kind of stumble their way into a whole other village. They go farther down into enemy territory, right into the stronghold of Samaria, which is a very powerful city. Elisha leads these guys in here, and, and they're all following him along, looking for him, not knowing it. They follow him through. And here's what it says. As soon as they entered Samaria... Elisha said, "O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see." So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, "My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down?" He's like, what's going on here? This is crazy." And he answered, "You shall not <coughs> excuse me, You shall not strike them down." Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. You see that the whole story was taking place here? They're blinded, they're brought in, and ultimately what happens is, as they now see, Elisha sends them on their way, and they're like, we give up. (laughs) We're not going to try to fight these guys any longer. We're dealing with things that are beyond us. Now, I I start with this story this morning because it illustrates the main point of the message that we're going to see here in Acts today. One of the human traits that we all share, all of us who are human in here today, We all share this same trait, and that trait is spiritual blindness. All right? Spiritual blindness. Now, don't be offended. It's just the way it is, okay? This is naturally how we begin. I will admit, some people are born a little more spiritually sensitive than other people, but all of us have a blindness in, in our spiritual understanding. Elisha. who had been mentored by the prophet Elijah, the one before him, had been given an ability to see things with spiritual eyes. That's why when Elisha walks out and he sees this little army around him, he's like, Psh, I got the whole army of God on my side. This is nothing to me. I see what's really going on in this realm. And so what he does for just a minute, he lets that servant look ahead too. He gives, opens his eyes spiritually. Can you imagine being that servant? being out there and all of a sudden your eyes open up and you realize, whoa, the spiritual realm. What's going on here? It wouldn't have been an amazing thing. Most of us, though, are more like the servant. What we see is there's an army surrounding us. Things are bad. I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know what's going on. Oh, where's God? That's, that's how we're feeling. We don't have those eyes to see some of those things. Now, I'm not saying that we're completely blind to spiritual things. Uh, Humans have always considered the spiritual world, all right? Um, We know, and people have always known, there's some sort of spiritual something out there. We just don't see it very well. But every once in a while, something will happen, something uh, that we'll experience in life that makes us aware that we're spiritual beings. And that's the way it's always been. And that's why people are always like, what is it? What is the spiritual world? What is the spiritual realm? What, what about me is different than just flesh and bone? We're more than just these molecules in, on this earth. There's something else. There's something beyond us. But much of the time, we know that it's out there, but we don't have clarity with it. We struggle to see spiritually, just like the servant did. But as we're going to see in the rest of the book of Acts... Spiritual blindness is exactly what the gospel message comes to address. That's what the good news is. The good news is a spiritual message describing the spiritual world. It serves as an explanation of the spiritual world that describes the plans of God. The gospel illuminates the path to a right relationship with our creator opening our eyes and giving us spiritual vision. Later when in Acts, when Paul is describing his conversion and the experience that he had back in Acts chapter 9 when he was blinded by the light of Jesus and God talks to him. He, as he recounts that in Acts 26, he, he says, this is what Jesus said to me. He said, in Acts 26, 17 and 18, I am sending you to open their eyes. So that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So you see what he's saying here? He said, I'm going to send you to take care of the spiritual blindness that people have. I'm going to give you this message that lets them understand who I am and what I'm doing. And that I have a plan for their lives. I'm going to allow you to come and provide for them a way to see Because they can't see without it. And last week, we saw that Barnabas and Saul were commissioned and sent out. And and as as these early missionaries traveled through those lands, they brought this message. Followed by signs and wonders that confirmed their words. And so that's where we're at here today. In Acts chapter 13. And we pick up here today in verse 4. Alright, so hopefully you're there. Acts 13 verse 4. Here's what it says. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. All right, so I've been told multiple times in the past couple weeks, you guys love my maps. So I got a map here for you. Ooh, it's not really focused too well here today, but that's all right. Hopefully you can still get a rough idea. Okay, this blue part is the Mediterranean Sea, all right? Last week where we've been talking about was Antioch right here, all right? And Antioch was in Syria. There's Syria. This is the nation. Today it's actually, it's it's modern-day Turkey. Turkey reached down here and got Antioch. So they go from Antioch down to this little port town of Seleucia, they get on a ship, they sail across the Mediterranean Sea to this island called Cyprus, okay? And they land here in Salamis, and then they begin ministering, as we're going to see as we go on here today, they minister all the way through the island until they come to this little town called Paphos, all right? So that's where this is happening, that's where this is going on. All right, Seleucia was the port city of Antioch, 16 miles from the city center. And Cyprus, the island where they're ending up, had been controlled I mean, now it's, it's part of the Roman Empire, um, here with, with uh, Barnabas and Saul. Um, but before, it had been controlled by the Ptolemaic Empire, taken by Ptolemy I in 318 B.C. He was one of Alexander the Great's generals. All right, so for the history buffs among us, you've got the Greek Empire that then gave way to the Roman Empire, all right? Alexander the Great was the one who put together the Greek Empire. When he died suddenly and surprisingly, all of his generals started trying to take over their little area. One of those generals was Ptolemy, all right? And Ptolemy went and took Cyprus. And what Ptolemy did was he actually invited Jewish settlers from Israel and from the Promised Land area over to Cyprus to help settle Cyprus. There's a lot of reasons for that, and you can study that on your own. All right? But by the first century, there was now a large Jewish population on the island of Cyprus. Um, here, by the first century, Barnabas himself was from Cyprus. That's one of the things that we had learned. He was a Jew from Cyprus. And it also tells us here that John Mark was with them. Um, and by the way, he's Barnabas' cousin. You learn that in Colossians 4. And he had come with them from Jerusalem. So when they had gone down and given the the gift to the church in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Saul, they went down there, they'd been sent from Antioch, they went down there, they gave that financial gift because of the famine that was coming. They then took John Mark, went back up to Antioch. In Antioch, they got prayed for, sent out as missionaries, and now they've traveled along and they're beginning this first missionary journey. And the way they did it is when they landed here at, at Salamis, they then began preaching in the synagogues all the way across the island. All right. Now, in verse six, here's what it says: When they had gone through the whole island, as far as as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar Jesus. There's a lot of descriptors there. All right. He was a magician. He was Jewish. He was a false prophet, and he had the name <laughs> Bar Jesus. And he was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Bar-Jesus just means son of Jesus, okay? Um, Jesus was a common name in this period. It's probably no reference to Jesus himself. Uh, He was apparently an advisor to the governor. That's what a proconsul is of Cyprus, all right? So the guy in charge of the whole island uh, from the Roman government, um, this, this guy, Sergius Paulus, this bar Jesus is a, kind of an advisor. But it seems that he had a lot more, even more influence than a typical advisor. Because what it sounds like here with these descript, descriptions of being a magician and a false prophet, it seems like he had some sort of like a demonic control over uh, this man. right? And so he had a really heavy influence in the way that he was um, dealing with this guy. And undoubtedly the word had reached Sir Thanks, thinks Keith I don't know if it'll work I've been coughing for months now but thank you man I appreciate it You ever have those things where they just it just sticks around it's it's right here somewhere it just won't go away guys I don't know what to do pray for me people Um so so what we've got here is we've got this this influence that's happening a possibly a demonic influence um, but, but what we hear about Sergius is that he's an intellectual and he's curious. Because here, being the governor of this island, he knows what's going on. And he's been hearing, hey, there's these guys that came over. I, I, they're Jewish, but they're preaching in the synagogues. And all these people are hearing this message. And it's this incredible message that these guys are bringing. So Sergius Paulus is like, well, I want to hear it bring these guys in, bring them into the governor's mansion, and I want to hear what these guys have to say. What is going on? How are they stirring up all that's going on here? All right, and in verse 8, it says, but Elimus, you're like, what? Here's another name? That's the magician, for that is the meaning of his name. In these multilingual cultures, it's really tricky because it's like these guys have a however many names like we name him this in this language that in that language so bar Jesus aka Elimus who is the Jewish false prophet magician same guy same guy but Elimus the magician opposed them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith but Saul who was also called Paul and I'm glad we finally got to this verse because now I don't have to keep going back and forth of calling him Saul when I know he's Paul and back and forth and back. From here on out, guys, the rest of the Bible, rest of the New Testament, he's Paul from this point on. Same guy. Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Sound familiar? we got a lot of blindness going on today in this. This is the same kind of story that we saw with Elisha. Now, why would Elimus even care what's going on here? Well, he didn't want to lose his grip on the governor. He's like, I've got this thing going. It's in my hand. I tell him what to do and how to do it. And if he's not real sure, then I'll do some little magic trick. I'll wow him with some something. And ultimately, I get to steer this whole island. So he didn't want to lose that grip. And, and we don't know how long, this may have gone on for a, a few days, back and forth. I don't know, maybe Paul had a really quick temper, or maybe this worked up over a couple days. I'm not sure exactly how it went, but when Paul lets loose on this guy, he's like, I'm letting loose on this guy. I mean, those, that's a good little string of villainous, whatever, son of the devil kind of things that he has to say, right? And then, to top it all off, he's like, and by the way, you're going to be blind for a little while. Bang! I mean, this is, this is, this is heavy, right? Elimus didn't realize the power he was up against. He's like, man, I've been doing some pretty cool tricks here for quite a while. I've got some power that most people don't know about. And Paul comes in and says, eh, yeah, your power is nothing compared to the power that you're fighting against here. So now his spiritual blindness is compounded with physical blindness. In verse 12, here's what it tells us then. Then, seeing all this, the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred. For listen to this for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. He was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. I find it interesting that that's what he was astonished about. I would have thought that it would say, and he was astonished at the display of power, but it was actually the teaching. Sergius had probably already seen some pretty amazing tricks by this sorcerer, Elimus. But the counterfeit paled in comparison to the real thing. Well, and here's what you've got to understand. When, when learning about the spiritual world, we know that the devil and his followers have been given limited power in this world. It's real power, it's limited power, but it's power there 's power in in this and and I believe that the devil 's strategy in nations like the United States is really focused on building the idols of wealth and pleasure more um, than than uh, more to keep the the spiritual world in kind of the shadows than in some places where there 's a very different strategy for those of you who know people that live in other countries around the world or have spent any time traveling to some of these different places, you'll talk to them about the spiritual climate of the nations that they live in and you find out very quickly there's a different world out there on this same planet that we live in. And there's some really radically different things that happen in a lot of these other countries, spiritual, demonic, wild stuff that would blow your mind that doesn't really happen here. And I think it's because there's a different strategy. Um, And because of that, there's more visible demonic activity in some of those places. It allows him to leverage fear and power over people. But here, um, you know, Sergius Paulus, he'd already seen some of those things. He'd seen some of the radical things take place. He'd seen some of the demonic activity. So that was kind of normal to him. But what blew him away, what converted him, what changed his life, wasn't the display of power... It was the teaching of Jesus that transformed him into a believer. The miracle was impressive, but it was temporary. It was temporary. The message had eternal impact. You see the difference here? As far as we know, this was the first major political leader to become a Christian. Uh and, and this little bit of ministry work that we see Paul and, and uh, Barnabas do here had lasting impact. According to um, uh, the U.S. State Department census uh, of 2011, over 90% of the reporting population of the island of Cyprus are Christians today. And this is the first little bit of the gospel message hitting Cyprus. Isn't that crazy? The gospel opened his eyes and the gospel went in a, a powerful way through the island of Cyprus. All right, so moving on. It says now in verse 13, it says, Now Paul and his companions set sail, from, sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. Okay, back to another map here for you. Um, real quick. Um, So here's where we were before, Antioch, Seleucia, they came down to Cyprus, land in Salamis, come across to Paphos, meet the Jewish magician Elimus, Bar-Jesus, all that guy, leave there, they go sail north, land in Perga, which this is a region called Pamphylia down here, and then from Perga, they make the hike up to Antioch-Pisidia. It's a little confusing, named Antioch-Pisidia. This is Antioch in Syria. This is the big city like New York City. This is another small little town, Antioch, Pisidia. Okay? It's in modern-day Turkey. Got it? Good. Okay. Now, I do want to point this out real quick because it's here and because it matters later. It says there that John left them and, and returned to Jerusalem. We don't know why John Mark left. Maybe he was just homesick. But the reason it matters is because later on um, in Acts, we're going to come to a point of contention where Barnabas is like, oh, let's take John Mark again. And Paul is like, I'm not taking that guy again. He bailed out on us last time. We needed him. <laughs> and right when we were right where we needed to go, he left and went home. And it's going to become an issue that we'll see um, in, a, in a, a future chapter. So that's where they're at. They've made it now to this place, Antioch, Pisidia. And in verse 15, it says, And after the reading from the law of the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Now, this was a common thing. It was common for a visiting rabbi, especially someone like Paul, who had been a Pharisee in Jerusalem, to now come out here, way out here in Turkey somewhere, to come into this little town, this little synagogue, he's like celebrity status speaker. When he comes in, this was a common thing. Um, they would do their readings that they had in their normal church service, and then there was a little section for um, thoughts from a, a rabbi. And so when they see that he's here, and they, they're like, whoa, Like, have you got anything you want to share with us? Share with the church. And so that's, that's what's going on. And in verse 16, now I'm going to warn you here, we're about to read a long passage. You can do this. We can make this, all right? We're going to go here. Stay with me. Follow along. Pay attention. Here's what he says. Verse 16, it says, so Paul stood up and motioning with his hand. He's not the only pastor that talks with his hands. I know. I've got an issue. Um, Motioning with his hand, he said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen.'" The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior. Okay, now this is where the story starts getting, diverging a little bit for them because now he's going to name the Savior Jesus as he promised. Before his coming, John, John the Baptist, had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I'm not he. No, but behold, after me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he's spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy ones see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. All right, I know that was a long section. It's one sermon. You had to read the whole thing. You get double sermons today, okay? But let's walk back through this a little bit. Now, remember, they're in a Jewish synagogue. They're with a bunch of Jews that know their history. They know their Bible. They know their, their Moses stories. They know about King David. They know what Paul describes here. They know their heritage is God's people. They had grown up hearing about all those things. But they, and they knew that there was a promised Savior that they were waiting for. If you don't know this, the Jews, in theory, today are still waiting for a Messiah. The Jews at this time, in Paul's day, were waiting for a Messiah. They had known that the scriptures had pointed over and over to the fact that God was going to give them a Savior, a Messiah. One that would save them. One that would do everything that they hadn't been able to do all the time before. All right? So this wasn't a new story for them. When Paul walks in here and says, yeah, you know the stuff about uh, Moses, and you know about King David, and you know about the prophets and the judges, and you know that there's a Messiah coming. What I'm telling you here today is the Messiah came. Now, that alone would have been like a bombshell statement to be made in a synagogue. That was enough for all the people to be like, What? But what, what even stunned them and startled them even more is when he said, yeah, the Messiah came, and then in Jerusalem they killed him. That would have been like, hold on. I, I can't even handle the first thing you just said. Now you're saying this again? What is happening here? And then he begins to explain what happened with Jesus. And he goes on to the spot and says, but he didn't stay dead. He actually raised from the dead. God raised him from the dead. And that information would have started filling in the blanks to connect the prophecies and the passages of Scripture that they and their ancestors had been wrestling over for generations. One of the questions that the Jews still have to this day, who don't believe that the Messiah came, is is this. How can they kill the Messiah? Because we see prophetically that he's supposed to be killed. But how can he be killed and how can he reign forever? It doesn't really work. If he's dead, how can he be reigning? Well, this is how. <laughs> um, or, or why would David, King David, the great King David, call his offspring multiple generations later Lord? That seems backwards. I don't understand. How, how, how would you call Lord when you're the king, you're King David? Who is the Holy One of God, the Messiah? And now what's happening? Here, they've got a blindness, a fog. I, I don't know how this all works. Paul comes in and says, let me tell you how this works. Let me show you what's happened. Let me explain the plan of God and what God has done in all this. People began to see with clarity now that was replacing their blindness spiritually. And not only that, they were shown that through Jesus, through the Messiah, they could be forgiven of their sins. And made right with God. And the result, it tells us here, was salvation. People being filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason I want us to see this today, and as we we wrap this, begin moving in the direction to wrap this up, this is still how spiritual blindness is removed. This is still the same way. I told you at the beginning, we all share this issue of spiritual blindness. We know there's something out there. We try to figure this out. We try to understand it. Most of the time, most people are just overwhelmed by it all. They're just like, I don't know. It's a big universe. How can I figure this out? I'm just a little speck of a human. I'm here for a short little period of time, and then I'm going to die, and who knows what happens, right? Well, I understand that because I'm like you, just a person. How can we have this this grand vision and understanding of the spiritual world, the point of everything, the big questions of life? How can we we do this? Well, because we're all born in darkness. We're all blind. None of us can save ourselves. The law cannot save us. Our efforts cannot save us. Our goodness is not good enough. But God can and did save us. Romans 8, 2-4 says this, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. But what's the law of sin and death? It's just being human. It's the fact that we're all sinners and we're all going to die one day. Right? Death and taxes, the two things that you can't get away from. And that's, what, that's the way it is. We're sinners and we're going to die. But the law of, in Christ Jesus has set you free from that. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And in his love, God sends people into the world to preach the message so that other people can hear it, other people can believe, other people can call on him, and other people can be saved. Romans 10, 11-15, for the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? You see what's being described? He's like, they're blind. They're blind. And unless somebody comes and tells them that this is the way to God, how are they going to know that? They're not. And now you start seeing why God wants to send his people Into the world. He wants to send us into the world to share this good news. So that other people can have their blindness removed as well. Why? Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is going to be saved. The spiritual reality is that salvation is available. When you have received this forgiveness, this grace, and this love, the natural response is to share that with others. When you start getting some clarity in the spiritual world, when you start seeing spiritual transformation in your own life, when you start tapping in to the goodness of God in your life, and you start getting transformed, what happens? It's like anything. You eat a good pizza somewhere. What are you going to do? I'm going to tell somebody else, and I'm going to come back to this place. Whatever it is, it's the same thing. When you start seeing transformation in your life, it's natural that you're going to want to say, wow, i got to tell you what's going on with me. I've been reading the Bible, and this is what's happening. I've been going to church, I've been praying, and I'm being changed. That's what's what's going on. Our salvation has been secured by Jesus, and then given to us for free, even. He paid a great cost for it, but offers it to us freely. Do we see that? Do you see what God has done for you in Christ? Are you aware of it? Bring it to your attention because I know that sometimes, even though salvation is available, we struggle to see it for ourselves and for others. Sometimes we just lose sight of it. It's it's kind of a temporary blindness because we live in a world that's full of spiritual blindness. We get blinded by all kinds of things, guys. Our fears and anxieties blind us. Our lust and our greed will blind us. Our worries and our concerns will paralyze us. But here's here's the message God is here today and wants to open your eyes. He wants to open our eyes. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to have spiritual eyes? Do you want to be able to see things from His perspective? Because He wants to remove the blind spots that we have. He's the light of the world. Now, the Bible tells us not everyone does want to see. For a lot of people, they're like, Nah, I'm good. I'm just going to keep on doing what I'm doing. And I'll do it for 70, 80 years. And that's it. It's fine. It's the way it is. In John 3, 19 to 21, here's what Jesus said. He said, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. We all have a choice to make when it comes to spiritual blindness. We can choose to remain in darkness or we can have our eyes opened. And as we grow spiritually, our blindness gets replaced with clarity. You remember when when Elisha walks these soldiers, um, you know, stumbling into the town of Samaria, and they're kind of blind, they can't see, and then all of a sudden he opens their eyes and they're like, whoa, it's clear. I now know where I'm at. Wasn't a good feeling for them. But that's what happens as we spiritually grow. What happens is we, we come, uh, the, the spiritual world becomes more and more in focus for us. It's no longer just kind of this blurry thing that, yeah, there's maybe a God somewhere in the universe, and every once in a while, I feel something. No, what happens is we, we begin to see more and more clearly of what really is. Our vision gets sharper. Our understanding of God and his plans come into focus. This is where we start having a passion for things of God. If you've met people before that are just on fire for God, and you're like, wow, wow. Uh, they, man, they really go to church. you know what 's going on with that person? What, what are they talking man they're praying about these things and they 're talking about God moving in their life here and there, and they 're hearing the voice of God what 's going on there here 's what 's happened, guys. What 's happened is they 've been growing spiritually, and as they're growing spiritually, it's coming more and more into focus, the reality of the spiritual world. Their spiritual blindness is being pushed aside. That is where the, the fruitfulness comes in our lives. That's actually where walking with the Lord is fun. That's where there's, there's life in this. Too many Christians, believers, are walking around with blinders on and they don't see what's going on and they're not paying attention and they're just beat up. Why? Because you're kind of living in the hole. You're like right between like the things of, of, of earth and things of heaven and you're just getting battered back and forth all the time and you're just this poor, miserable Christian. That's not the life that God came to give us. Jesus said, I came to give you abundant life. Does it feel abundant? Check yourself. Are you abundant in your walk with the Lord right now? If you aren't, it may be there's some blind spots that God needs to clear up for you. And if you want that, we just ask for it. Now, I wish I could be like the prophet Elisha here today for you guys and just say, Lord, open their eyes. And immediately everybody's like, I get it, you know? I can't, guys, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm with you. But if you want that, if you want that clarity, you want that vision, ask him for it. And that is my prayer for us today. That we would have eyes to see and ears to hear what God wants us to see and hear in our lifetimes. You know, um, in a few weeks, I told you a little bit about this last week. But in a few weeks, we're going to set aside some time as a church to fast and pray. All right? And that's coming up in March. Um, And those spiritual practices are meant to bring us to God and let him change us. That's what a spiritual practice does. Okay, there's nothing magical about the practice of fasting or prayer or meditation or solitude, any of those things. What they're meant to do is to bring us before God. God is the source of power. God is the source of transformation. And this is going to be one of my primary prayers during that time. Lord, open our eyes. Allow us to see the world around us as you want us to see it. Because there's so many things that cloud our vision And give us just this fog in in the world around us. I'm going to pray, let me see you more clearly, Lord. I'm going to pray, let the church see you more clearly. And we don't have to wait for that time in a couple weeks. We can start that today, right? And so if you're here today and you feel like, that is what I need. I have been walking around with my hand in front of my face, wondering why I keep walking into stuff. I need clarity. I need vision. I want to see God. I want to know what's going on in my world. Then pray that today. I want to invite the, the worship team back up. And we're going to spend some time in responsive worship here. A couple songs. And, and that's what I want us to do. So right where you're at, go ahead and, and close your eyes. Bow your heads if you want to. I only ask you to do that because it helps us block out the other Distractions that can sometimes get in our way when it comes time to pray and think about things of God. And right now, as you're sitting there with your, your eyes closed, if you're here today and you feel like, hey, I want to, make, well, let's start here, let's start here. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you feel like, I have always been spiritually blind and I don't know anything about any of this. And if that's the case, I just pray that today you would take the step to come to the Lord and say, God, I want to see you. I want to have my blindness taken away. And I ask you today to do that very thing. And so if that's you here today. And, and maybe for the first time, you want to put your hope and faith and trust in Jesus. He has offered eternal life to you. He has offered spiritual clarity and insight to you. He paid the cost for it and he offers it freely by his grace to us. And so today, if that's you, pray that prayer to Jesus, talk to him and ask him to give you eternal life. And for many of the others of you that have already prayed that prayer at some time in the past maybe what you need here today is you just need some clarity maybe this is the peace that is missing in your spiritual life right now maybe you've just felt like you're you're trying and you're failing and you're moving in a direction and you just keep getting hindered and stopped and there's setbacks and there's obstacles and there's there's things that are they're tugging at your heart and 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 you keep stumbling over sin and you're wrestling with doubt and, and you're just at this place where you're like I can't see anything, I'm, I, I don't even know where I'm at right now for you I just want to encourage you to just ask the Lord to give you clarity, give you spiritual vision ask the Lord to open your eyes to allow him uh, allow him to show you that the one that is with you is greater than the one that is in the world. And that those that are with you are far more than all those pains and struggles and difficulties in this world. Lord, today I do ask that you would move in a powerful way over these people here today. I ask, Lord, that by your Spirit, you would open our eyes, you'd allow us to see who you are, what you're doing. As we sang that song earlier today, uh, we are who you say that we are. Let us see that we're your children. Let us have that affirmation and confirmation in our souls. Maybe we be assured, not just of salvation, but also of your love, we know that you love us and that you care for us and that you are paying attention to us. Let us sense your presence here today. Pray these things in Jesus' powerful name. As we continue to just um, spend a little time, we're setting aside a little time here to just respond to the Lord. I want you to, to, to do that very thing. If you want to continue to pray, pray. If you want to sing, as Adrian and the team leads us, Sing. to stand up, raise your hands to the Lord, do whatever you need to do. We're just going to spend a little time in worship here to, to, together and responding to what God might want to speak to us here today. So let's do that now.